Welcome to another episode of the AbilityNet podcast. Disability, technology, inclusion. I'm your host, Robin Christofferson, Head of Digital Inclusion at AbilityNet, a pioneering UK charity with a mission to make a digital world accessible to all. Join me on this series to revisit key themes from TechShare Pro 2022, a place where accessibility professionals and allies gather once a year to share and learn together. You can download a transcript of this episode from www.abilitynet.org.uk slash podcast. So sit back, grab your favourite beverage and let's get started. Guys, well, it's another AbilityNet podcast. Welcome. Um, Mark's here. Mark's here again hi, this hi, week. Robin. How's it going? I'm good, thank you. <laughs> Great. So, Mark, this was one of yours, wasn't it? You were talking to Sarah Herlinger um, of Apple. So this was a really popular session. Uh, yeah. Do you want to give us a bit of an intro? Yes. Well, um, Sarah's actually been at TechShare Pro for, for several years and she's a good friend of AbilityNet. Um, I speak to her, you know, different times during the year. Um, what's amazing about having Sarah come into TechShare Pro is that she always talks more broadly about where Apple's sort of taking accessibility and, and, and the lessons they're learning. And, um, she's the senior director of global accessibility policy and initiatives at Apple. So she's, she's at the top of the tree and reporting into to Tim Cook. You know, this is, this is a, an important position in terms of accessibility, uh, really the community. And, um, what I think you'll find in this chat is how the, the breadth of what Apple does around accessibility, which we, you know, we, we largely think of as being best practice. Some of the stuff they do is best of breed, totally. um, but it shows how deeply they work on that and how they bring that together across a number of different areas and yeah i mean it's always lovely talking to her and in particular looking back on TechShare pro you know this is a real highlight um for me and in, in hearing how a massive company like ability like, like apple is sort of putting that into the world that ability net inhabits around disability and inclusion and accessibility it's a very nice connection between the two i think oh fantastic i can't wait so without further ado let us listen to this brilliant session and we will be back afterwards Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Um, we had a great start there. What a fantastic opening hour of content, going from the CEOs through to helping individual uh, people with disabilities in their own homes um, connect and, and live independent lives. Um, I'm really pleased to say I've got Sarah here from Apple. Hi, Sarah. How are you doing? I'm great. Uh, this Thank is your you third so TechShare Pro as well, so I think you might get a special badge at some point. So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, um, thank you so much for joining us. We're going to talk a bit about how Apple approaches accessibility, but can you tell me a little bit first about your role and how that fits into, into Apple's grand scheme of things? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I am the Senior Director of Global Accessibility Policy and Initiatives at Apple, and in that role... My team works to make sure that every way that Apple presents itself to the world, whether that be through our products, our services, our stores, our workplace, original content for Apple TV+, whatever it might be, that we are treating everyone with dignity and respect. Right. So really hugely, and not, and not simple, from our point of view, simple technology-based accessibility, making the app accessible with that huge gamut of stuff, a huge range of... Yeah. yeah it must it's, be so interesting. It must be really so different. much crosses your desk. It's so much stuff. It does. Every day is different. Yeah, um, yeah. But really, you know, it's, it's in the accessibility realm, making sure that, that we just 
are good to people with disabilities and yeah. that we do everything with keeping that in mind in all that we build. Cool. And what do you think is the why of that? Why do you think Apple does that from the point of view of your involvement in it and your, your yeah. sort of personal perspective? Yeah, I think it's a lot of things. You know, it, it certainly starts with the numbers. We know with over a billion people on this planet having a disability and 15% of the world's population, it's a huge part of our world and it affects everyone, whether that is personally in your own experience or someone near and dear to you. So um, certainly disability is something that affects us all. But I think even more importantly, you know, Apple was with a mission to make breakthrough products that change people's lives. And we didn't do that just for some people. We want to do that for everyone. And I think nowhere is that more evident than our work in accessibility. Um, our first Office of Disability started in 1985. And that was five years before the Americans with Disabilities Act even came to pass. And so I think that's a strong testament to the fact that we didn't do this because there was a regulatory statement of you must do it. We've done it because we believe that everybody, everybody is an important customer mm. and everybody should have the opportunity to use technology. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess that's also part of that winning hearts and minds story is that that's much more powerful than making somebody do something, whatever it is they're doing in their yeah, work. Absolutely. If they get why they're doing it and what the value of it is, then, of course, they're much more motivated and connected to it. Totally. I mean, I think accessibility work is some of the most creative work you can ever do. Mm. When you think about trying to go through so many different use cases. I mean, everybody's experience with their disability is unique. So even when we try and think about building new features, we have to think about how they all work together and how do we make sure that no matter what your use case is, you have a way to be able to interact with that technology and in, in what works for you. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, the pandemic question, um, I, everybody has a different sort of <laughs> stories, but I'm guessing, I mean, the scale of the business that you're in anyway, that would have affected the internal working but, and also presumably the products and the, sh the shift in that understanding and empathy that you're, that you're building on, everybody's perspective shifted in some way in terms of our knowledge of our customers' needs and all of that sort of stuff. What, what was your take on that over those, uh, those few years? I mean, I guess we're yeah. still in it. We should always be careful to say that we're still in it. There's lots uh, of stuff going on around us. So. Very true. Um, it'll be a long time that we'll still be in it in one form or another. Yeah, and I think as, as with everybody else, it, it was quite a, a, a swift change um, trying to figure out how to... Uh, continue to do everything in a, a completely virtual world. Um, but, you know, the team did a quick pivot and really tried to figure out not just how to work in that world, but really to think about what the experience of all of our customers were in that new world and try and come up with some great features to support that. So um, to, to give a visual aid or two, yeah. Um, we one of the things that we did was building out a feature called sound recognition for the uh, the deaf community, being able to give visual alerts when someone uh, or when when a sound was in the background. So whether that be anything from a fire alarm to a doorbell to a baby crying or water uh, running, to be able to give them an alert via their Apple Watch or their okay. Apple phone, saying. Um, you know, there's a sound in the background that appears it might be water running. Okay. Uh, we also built in features like people detection, which was a really fun, cool uh, project to work on because it allowed us to take some of the best of, of Apple in other areas and use it to support our communities. Um, in this case, uh, we're using the LiDAR scanner 
um, which is a part of the the Apple camera in uh, or the camera in the iPhone Pro models, also iPad Pros, uh, to be able to understand proximity of someone to you. And it also takes some amazing machine learning algorithms to make this work as well. But, you know, in that world where we suddenly had to social distance, it allowed someone in the the blind community to have a comprehension of when someone came into the frame of view of the camera, where they were, and give them um, a haptic alert, audio alert, uh, visuals, even if you were someone who wasn't in the blind community, but you didn't know what two to three meters really was, you could be able to get that information as well. So, you know, that was actually an interesting feature that came to us from one of our engineers who is blind, who originally just talked about wanting to know when a line moved, you know, when he was queued up for something, when was it his turn to move forward? forward. But when COVID happened, we fast-tracked the, that specific feature and got it out within months of, of the you know, COVID timeframe to be able to help members of the blind community be able to better social distance. Is that working? I believe it is. I is think it, we have a... Is that playing there? I, yeah, as yeah. far as I can no, tell. I, I, think that's I just our... realized it's playing up there. I was waiting for it to come up there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I assume cool. so. Um, and, and as you say, that's the knock-on effect of the pandemic just bringing those things to the surface, is that suddenly yeah. you're more, more aware of those particular practical issues. Yeah, it, it's sort of taking, taking once again, the best of what our technology does and being able to use all of those bits and pieces, hardware, software, the operating system itself, machine learning algorithms, all of that to create features that really support our communities. Cool. And um, in terms of that, I mean, that's clearly about the innovation that you're, that you're responding to the particular situation. I'm guessing that there's a sort of a broader program of ensuring that accessibility and, and innovation are connected in some way or, or mm-hmm. disability. Uh, uh, how does that work now? And, and, and I guess over time, what, what are the changes been to, to ensure that it's built in for the beginning? When someone's having a bright idea, that, 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 they, that they begin thinking about disability and accessibility as part of that initial spark, mm-hmm. I guess that's the goal, isn't it? Yeah, and I think that happens in a lot of ways. I mean, certainly because we have it infused in our corporate culture as a core value, it's something that people all across Apple are are thinking about accessibility as a part of what they do from day one. Um, You know, the team gets in early on new projects, but it's also about our own employees, you know, who are members of these communities being able to step up and say, gosh, I really wish my device would do this. And then having cross-functional teams who bond together to figure out how to make those things happen. Mm-hmm. Um, another one we did, sorry, we got a little video to show as well, is called uh, um, door detection. And with door detection, here, I'll just, I'm running this. It's got, uh, should have both audio descriptions and closed captioning playing as well, so. Titles, Apple Accessibility. A woman using a white cane points an iPhone camera at the door of a bakery. Close door eight feet away. Text, muffin to write home about bakery. Titles, door detection, now on iPhone, an Apple logo. To write home about as well. (laughs) (laughs) Or is that a real store? (laughs) um, uh, Good question. I I think we did actually uh, um, come up with that to uh, avoid any, any, you know, copyright issues. But... um, yeah, some, some very creative people <laughs> in, in our world there. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think, you know, we, we have a lot of people who sort of 
with ideas. Yeah. And, and then once again, we're trying to, to look at what everyone else is doing at Apple and say, gosh, is there something that we can use here? Uh, you know, another one that I, I love, the kind of same thing, this was we are now using the hardware of the Apple Watch to be able to understand your muscle and tendon movements. Mm. So if you are wow. someone who is upper body limb different, maybe an amputee or such who would only be able to use the watch with one hand, you can now run the entire watch using just a pinch or a clench. Um, so really kind of saying, all right, what, what's everyone else doing at Apple? And how do we go into the candy store and figure out what all those things are to be able to make our, our you know, the work we do for our communities that much stronger? So is that, I mean, is that work that you're doing in the sense of onboarding and internal sort of training and culture? It's that sort of thing which is bringing that, those people together, I'm guessing. There's, mm-hmm. a, there's a sense that when people are joining that they're already in the candy store in the sense that they, they, they're aware of all the bits around them. Is that, is that how that program sort of develops to, to ensure that that's sort of front and centre when they're thinking of their work? Yeah, I mean, certainly I think for any new employee when they join Apple, there is an effort to make sure that they understand what our core values are. Um, accessibility being certainly one of them. We, we're basically based on six core corporate values, but accessibility is a key part of that. And so for anyone who comes to Apple, we want them to understand as you do your job, even if accessibility isn't in your title, it's important for you to understand what this means to our company and to think about it in the work that you do. And that can be for anyone, whether they're an engineer, or designer, marketing, all the way to a facilities person. You know, we want to make sure that people with disabilities are thought about in our entire process. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, so it's sort of that consistent drumbeat. Once you enter, you're, you know, you're given that overview, but then throughout time as you work on your projects, there's always people there saying, well, what about this? And have we thought about what the experience might be for someone who might never touch a touchscreen or who might not hear the audio coming through the device at this point? How do we think about that in the design of this? So challenging back each time Mm -hmm. the assumptions and all the other parts that built into the the, the initial proposal and then through the process. Yeah, sounds cool. And um, I guess that also depends, in, uh, to some extent, on the support for your internal teams. I mean, there's that all inward-facing, the mm-hmm. fact that it's a place where disabled people can work and thrive and flourish in the same way as all their other colleagues. I guess that's part of that. Yeah. I mean, as the people who design the products, there's a, a, a constant flow of information and bug reports and all kinds of things as as people are working you know, in every team. And, and that's one of the things I love. By building the technology, we can then create an environment where we can hire people into not just the accessibility team, but you know, in teams across Apple. And so those individuals might, you know, some of them may be using more things like pages, keynote, and numbers for uh, the iWork suite. And they're, they're doing more presentations and reports. Other people may be engineers and they're more, you know, getting into um, the, the back-end bug reporting systems, things like that. So everybody has their own things that they work on, and therefore they're able to go then to the teams who build these and say, hey, you know, I, I, I was working on this, and I think it would be great if we could do this additional thing, or mm. I hit a roadblock here. How do we solve for that? And so, yeah, I love that we're just able to get the best people throughout Apple because we have the tools that are accessible right out of the box. Yeah, yeah. So um, um, let's talk a bit about collaboration. Um, uh, later 
It seems a long way away. Thursday, you're going to be talking to, to Jenny yeah. and Eve <laughs> about, um, you know, the connections across uh, Google and Microsoft and Apple. And, and I know that you guys connect and collaborate and mm -hmm. you'll be talking about that. Um, what role does that collaborate play in your work generally? I mean, in, in, is there particular things you're looking for or is it more just out there listening and seeing what comes in? Or I guess a bit of both as you're going through that through, through the uh, different programs and projects you're working on. Yeah, I think, um, you know, there are... are Certainly, times where we we go back to each other and say we're better together than we are apart, and and that can be everything from the um, the speech accessibility project that I know there's some folks are going to be talking about. I think Christopher is going to be talking yeah. about that a little bit more tomorrow, but that's a great project where all of us looked at it and said this is a problem that for any one company it's hard to solve. You know, there isn't a whole lot of data out there about individuals with atypical speech. So so if we band together to support an organization like um, University of Illinois to do research, it, it makes it easier, if nothing else, for the community. You know, yeah. I mean, that's the biggest that's the biggest part for all of us is how do we support the community better? But we've done it in a number of, of circumstances already. Things like um, there's a, a Braille human interface uh, guideline out there that was developed a number of years ago by all of the, not just the tech companies, but, you know, getting to the Braille display manufacturers and, and the screen reader creators and all of that to come together and say, what's the unique experience of someone who, you know, interacts with technology strictly through a Braille display? And how do we make sure that that becomes something seamless, regardless of which operating system you're mm -hmm. using? So I think we try and find those moments where, the entire industry understands that the the best outcomes are ones where there's collaboration, and then we do really like each other. So we find each other and say, "How how how do we make this work?" Right. I've got an interesting question here from um, uh, from the audience. Um, will we ever see a standardisation of tools between big providers, Microsoft, Google, and Apple? Um, they're particularly mentioning the EU Commission and stuff like USB-C. I mean, that's where the pressure is, I guess. In you want to be differentiating yourself, mm -hmm. but on the other hand, as some of what you described there is, is it's it's uh, good for the user to know that this convention will be consistent. Mm -hmm. I guess that's part of the tension in the sense of uh, commercial versus the, the usability or something like that. I mean, that crops yeah. up, I'm sure, all the time for you. Yeah, I mean, it's a good question, and I, I don't know that I have a specific answer um, because I think we're, we're constantly trying to look at, at different elements and figure out where they're the best solutions. You know, in that case with the, the Braille guidelines, it, it did codify one system, um, you know, most specifically for Bluetooth, but across other elements as well. And so I think where we see there's there's real value but you know things like whether it's one specific type of usb or, yeah, yeah. or what it might be um i mean part of that is the the industry changes not just for accessibility but for everyone all the yeah. time i wonder if that's easier in accessibility though because i guess it's maybe more obvious the collaboration the user benefit in the sense of the start of the problem solving mm -hmm. is that it maybe that's why that's that collaboration and and partnership and sort of thinking about guidelines is a little bit simpler. It's, it's like maybe less controversial or something. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know whether that's how it feels when you're doing it, but you've probably still got the lawyers on your back asking you questions. But um. Yeah, I mean, it's always interesting to try and, and support 
accessibility as a, a bigger part of yeah. the, the design process of anything. So, yeah. Well, and we, I know, we know, you know, we're all trying to work within WCAG, for example, all the time, mm-hmm. all those sorts of guidelines. They're an amazing community effort to pull together so many different players and so many different elements yeah. to, to into some system which will probably work most times. <laughs> it's sort of where we're at at the moment. You know, the reason it's being reinvented is because the technology Absolutely. and interfaces have moved to create them. So I guess that's where the collaboration is as well, isn't it? In those standards, mm-hmm. in the connecting in with all the different players, um, not just the tech companies necessarily, but all the people using yeah. it. Like, like Marley was talking Certainly. about the banking sector and all their, mm-hmm. all their services and millions of users. So I think that's uh, certainly how we see it in AbilityNet. Is we, we find it easier to connect across because we're using the accessibility at sort of introduction almost and saying, look, this is obviously a thing we can work on and it will be good for all of us and the yeah. community around it is building and the connections that are there. Um, changing tack slightly, what, um, what sort of technologies do you think, uh, you mentioned LIDAR, for example, what sort of technologies do you think are on the horizon in terms of uh, the next few years and, and changes and, and, and not necessarily accessibility features, but more broadly the technologies that are going to bring value to people with disabilities? Yeah. Well, I think there's you know certainly a lot of buzzwords out there floating around on things people think that the future holds. For me, the biggest thing that I look at is now that we've kind of built the foundational assistive technology into devices, it's it really is more about what is the next consumer thing and ensuring that that's accessible. Right. You know, we we no longer and I, I don't say that you know. Obviously, there's always new things to make, but it's not like there is a giant area that we have left someone out. So now when we build, it's looking at how do we how do we figure out what that next big thing is and just make sure it's accessible. And so I think one of the big ones that certainly is is huge right now is around machine learning and A.I., you know, there are, are so many things, even as we've done with things like people detection and door detection and sound recognition and, you know, different uh, elements of machine learning that are being used across disability types that have so much potential to make the world accessible. Yeah. You know, once the device is accessible, you start looking at how do you then just make everything around you more accessible to you. And so mm. I really love how much we're delving into machine learning as a way to solve that problem. With all of those inputs from the various times. Um, actually, yeah. somebody's asked about the, the pro and, uh, and the, the non-pro tools. I guess part of what's happening anyway is that the mainstream becomes, there's a cutting edge at any particular moment, but the mm-hmm. mainstream, that seems to me that's happening quicker anyway. Mm-hmm. That those sort, Because of the machine learning essentially sitting in the background saying, well, what can you throw at me? Yeah. All these different things. Actually, somebody was just asking, could you explain bit on the on the wrist again because that is really interesting i think <laughs> isn't it it's like you yeah. wouldn't you wouldn't conceive that somebody could even use that input but it's to do with the uh, the um sensors on the back yeah. identifying what your muscles are doing is that absolutely right? the the feature is called assistive touch for apple watch and you can find it in the um, mobility section on in the um the settings for the watch and what it does is by being able to understand that sort of muscle and tendon movement, when you do a clench or a pinch and, you know, double pinches, things like that, it will allow you to navigate. So much in the same way that kind of um, you would use scanning software, you can move through elements on the screen. And when you get to the one you want, you can actually, you know, answer a phone call or start a workout on the watch or, you know, do all kinds of things but doing it all without having to actually touch the the face of the watch. Wow. 
Um, yeah, that one is one that's so, so it's not, totally sci-fi. It's not sci-fi. sort of gestural like that. It's simply the movement it's of the hands. It's just when you're pinch, pinching or clenching. Yeah, yeah, you can imagine mm-hmm. all sorts of conditions and, and uh, positions that people find themselves in where that's really important, um, well, whether related to disability or not. Yeah, <laughs> that's actually been one of the fun things that we've found is we have received so much feedback from people who don't self-identify as having a disability who love the feature because they're, for example... Um, you know, snowboarders on the top of mountains don't want to take their gloves off or, you know, researchers with gloves on and, you know, biological matter or God knows what, um, who, who if, you know, love it, that we actually pulled part of this out into uh, something we call quick actions, which you can find within the accessibility settings as well, that are sort of set up so you don't have to have all of assistive touch for Apple Watch on. You can just have certain things that you want to do um, you know, more quickly with just a simple cool. hand action. Nice. So, yeah. So, and that to me is also where the the fun comes is when an accessibility feature becomes so popular that the mainstream, you know, gloms onto it and, yeah, yeah. and starts using it as well. And then it kind of becomes the gateway to getting people more aware of what's built into our accessibility settings. Mm. And hopefully they find more things that work Well, and they, they pass it on as well. It's, yeah. like, oh, it's not for me, but someone I know would find Absolutely. that really useful. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I think um, right back to when we first chatted about you, you joining us, I remember we were talking about accessibility coming from two directions. So there's the mainstream mm-hmm. features being developed that we can make use of. That's a brilliant example. And then the accessibility features being um, turning out to be something that people find really useful in, the, you know, in a mainstream way. Yeah. And I think that's, that's where we're at now, isn't it? All the technologies that are sort of swirling around us, mm-hmm. the same with the machine learning, that's becoming uh, ubiquitous, really, in the sense it's taking all of this information from different places. So um, I guess looking ahead, the, the, the final question would be, you know, do you think that the, uh, the next three days, thinking about that and then beyond, what, what do you think the accessibility community should be looking at in terms of our work and our connecting up and our partnerships? Are there obvious things that we can be doing together that are going to move us forward? Well, I think um, a lot of it is is that connection with colleagues, certainly, to have those conversations about um, how what what can we do together? And that may be those bigger picture things. It may just be if you're someone who's your company is new to thinking about accessibility and you have an app, you know, and knowing that for whatever platform you're on, there are tools available to you to help that cause. And, and you know, trying to, to find those tools and, and use them to, to build better products. Yeah. Um, you know, certainly all of us who are in the accessibility world, we're here because we believe strongly in support of the communities. So we're all working to make resources available and to be around to help and kind of whatever can be done to make sure that we, you know, m- across the industry move accessibility forward in new ways. Yeah, well, fantastic. Yeah. Well, and part of it is that you flew all the way over here to be in this room to yeah. have a chat instead of doing it on, on the I internet know. again. I so excited. <laughs> so it's brilliant, isn't it? And it's it is part wonderful. of that community building is being in the room and yeah. catching up and seeing people. It's a, it, you do miss that. And, but, but it's fantastic that you've done that. So thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a great chat. It's been to hear from you. And uh, Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Very cool. That was amazing. Uh, I know what my top takeaway was from that. What's yours, Mark, putting you on the spot? I, I, well, I tell you what I, I think is interesting that Sarah is pointing out, and, and we hear about it a lot, actually, um, is the crossover between features that are created with accessibility in mind that then get used in the mainstream 
and features that are being used in the mainstream that then um, clearly make some sense in terms of uh, accessibility. And uh, the idea of the Apple Watch, understanding what's happening in your hand and then and the things that you can do with that, which wasn't necessarily invented an accessibility feature, although that's one of its primary drivers, I think. But then, you know, crossing that over to all of the situations where you're, you're trying to do something on your watch and you haven't got uh, the ability to touch it. Um, that's a really simple example, but it just shows the creativity and the opportunities there are when you invest in this inclusive approach, you know, either from first principles, you're trying to literally trying to meet the needs of somebody with a particular accessibility need, or you create some features and say, Hey, do you know what? That's going to be really cool for this person over here. Mm -hmm. That jumped out a number of times with the Apple watch and the, I mean, it's amazing what it does anyway, that it can track what your fingers are doing. So, <laughs> <laughs> I've heavily got into fitness recently and uh, the Apple Watch uh, utility has gone up hugely. I thought it was amazing before, but yeah, hugely into it now. Um, but yeah, simply the fact that it remains authenticated on your wrist. So for multi-factor authentication, some of these hoops that everyone has to jump through to sign into something or to unlock something, um, for people with disabilities is can be a barrier, can be a showstopper. You know, it's time dependent. There's lots of horrible codes. There's QR codes on the screen. There's capture images and biometrics, I think, particularly with an authenticated device that knows who you are um, and that can kind of sidestep that is is huge. It's huge today. And I think it's only going to get more important as security becomes more and more, you know, like an arms race. So for me, the biggest takeaway was LIDAR. And that I think goes exactly what you were saying. It's a mainstream thing that can actually, you know, in, uh, impact people with disabilities disproportionately um, for the good. So for me, yeah, the door detection, the fact that a mixture of LIDAR and optical character recognition can identify what kind of a door it is, what kind of a handle it is, read the text on the door to say whether it's a pull or a push or an exit or if it's open or closed. Wow, that is yeah. so cool. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. you know, fantastic. And I can't wait for the AR glasses to come out so that I can have that functionality on my face without <laughs> yeah, having to wave my phone around. I'm just thinking that's probably the first thing you ever said to me when I met you 11, 12 years ago, wasn't it? Those glasses, those glasses, they're coming. <laughs> and those features, the LiDAR features and all the stuff, it's sitting there, isn't it? It's the interface. It's actually making that, that device work. It's interesting that you say that. I mean, she didn't talk about that, but you know, we know that Apple is thinking that's where they're going, don't we? And, uh, amongst other, amongst others, you know, Google and Google Glass have been there, come, sort of retreated slightly. The, the Apple stuff is 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 tantalizingly close, and that lidar stuff is is why we want to get to it, isn't it? That, that, yeah, I wanted to bring it in world. because I, I I didn't want that to go un unnoted uh, because yeah. you know there was only so long that you had in that conversation, but um, yeah, it's in yeah, yeah. all the pro phones. It's going to be on the glasses, which are purported to be coming out next year now. But anyway. So I'm. I'll wait a bit longer. I've waited ten years. So fantastic! Great, we're done. Lovely. See you soon. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for listening to this episode of the AbilityNet podcast. If you'd like more information about how you can make your websites and mobile apps more accessible, easier to use by all, and compliant with current legislation, you can speak with AbilityNet's accessibility experts. Just head over to www.abilitynet.org.uk 
slash accessibility hyphen services. Thanks again for tuning in and more hot discussions around accessibility will be coming soon.